what I've been telling you It's nothing like it seems It's what I've been telling you Well, it is just so fitting that we are kicking off our brand new series, Picture Perfect Family, uh, right on Mother's Day. I am super excited. Happy Happy Mother's Day, uh, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we're we're up here because we wanted to show you what a perfect family is. So here we are. <laughs> and uh, oh shoot, we forgot Josh. <laughs> we left him at home. <laughs> we, we 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 left him at home. We forgot him. Actually. Um, we, we both got our second vaccine shots this weekend. I got mine Friday. He got mine Saturday. He got and his Saturday. He got, sorry, I got mine Friday. He got his Saturday. And yesterday, I was just, you know, just leave me in bed for 24 hours while I try to recover from this second shot. And now Josh is doing the same thing. Uh, so uh, thank you to Josiah and Emily Divizia who are running everything from the Back Today Church. Can we show them our appreciation as well? Um, now this whole series is called Picture Perfect Family with quotes because even though we try we know that there's no family that's perfect. Amen? Amen? There's no family that's perfect. And and the most common place that we get to see that is actually in our family photos. I mean, we all try to get the best perfect family photos and we'll pose and repose and we'll edit and re-edit and we'll Photoshop and we'll change the filter and we'll try to get all the different things to look just right so that we can have those memories that we want to have, right? But let's face it, getting the right picture can be painful and exhausting. And we've experienced that growing up and we've experienced that as parents. So we wanted to show you some of our family photos, some of the perfect ones that we like and some of the, well, not not so perfect. And since it's Mother's Day, we're going to let Krista go first. All right. Yay. Let's hear for Krista and her family okay. photos. Well, don't clap yet. <laughs> so um, this, the first picture that you're going to see is, um, you can guess which of these two adorable children is me. It's me and my cousin Andrea. We're about six months apart. You have Princess Leia hair. Well, I did. I had curly hair when I was a little kid, actually. Um, and so our moms, you know, like to take pictures of us cousins together. And I think that's not a perfect picture, but it's a pretty good picture. Um, but you'll see the less perfect side in the next picture. I'm not sure if I took Andrea out or if she just fell over. We were kind of at that age when kids are a little bit unstable. Andrea, I um, am your cousin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
And speaking of more cousins, the next picture is uh, my brother John and I and Andrea and her little sister Melanie having a little tea party in the backyard. And it's one I of my favorite photo, pictures from childhood. I thought this photo was actually those ones where mom and dad, they would relegate the kids to the kids' table, right? And they did it because, well, there's not enough room at the big table, but they also did it because they wanted to have adult conversation and not hear, mom, 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 I don't know, right? maybe. I don't remember, but we loved having our own little, you know, table right. in the it, backyard. The kids thought it was great, and so did the parents. Let's, yeah. face, let's yeah. face it. The parents had more reasons than just, here's maybe. a table just for you. We were unaware. Um, we just thought we were having a good time. So the next picture is my brother, Jonathan, and I. And uh, this is probably one of the best pictures that exists of us. I think we were in our early 20s at this point at a family party. Um, the picture after that is... Have we met yet? Yeah, I think we had in that picture. I think you were at this party. Was actually. I at that party? Yeah. Very cool. We didn't yeah. get a picture of that one. Hmm. No, I don't, I don't know. remember being there. It was it's a long there time somewhere. ago. Uh, the next picture is from the day that Brian and I got married. This was taken in my parents. You don't um, have wedding photos from other times you got married to someone else, right? No. Okay, good. No, just these ones. <laughs> uh, so this is, if you want to talk about the definition of the perfect pose family picture, we had so many directions given to us from our photographer that day. I think we were all kind of like already a little bit tired of that at this point. Um, but that's sort of that, you know, picture perfect family yeah, your, portrait. Yeah, your brother's got that look of, dude. Are we done? Yeah. <laughs> Is this over yet? We, we were ready at that point. Yep. Um, so the picture after that is a really good example of what happens when you try to get a perfect picture, but one of the people involved is not cooperating. Um, my mom just Very wanted... Very strange. He's sick today and not here. <laughs> I know. He doesn't that. know about this. Yeah. My mom just wanted to see, just wanted to have a nice picture of, you know, grandma and her grandson. And there's about four pictures from this time point. And none of them are that sort of nice picture. He is just having the time of his life, kind of goofing off with grandma. So, um, and then, you know, we do have those times when we all sort of are looking the same direction. And Brian, I think, is taking this picture. It's, a, I think, a, maybe Christmas time, it looks like, um, of my, my brother and his wife, Stacy, and mom and dad and Josh, um, just, you know, having a good time at a family holiday dinner. Um, the one after that, we were taking one of those nice posed family pictures, but I surprised Josh with a little bit of a hug. You can kind of a tell. A little bit. Just a little bit. A it was a huge squeeze, a and you can kind of tell, like, the look on his face is like, oh, mom. That's a football <laughs> helmet away from a tackle. That's what that is. <laughs> and then um, a couple years ago, we found a really great family photographer here in Rochester, and we went down to Genesee, what is it, Genesee River Park? I think so. And um, Deb took a whole bunch of really great pictures. It was a really cold day. It was and freezing. Like it was like today, but turn it down even more. It was like so cold. Degrees. It was so cold. I think it was in November. We wore coats just to try to stay warm between we, shots. Yeah, we just took our, but we love, this is actually hanging on our wall at home. And we loved how this one turned out. And the very last one, <laughs> these are the people I love. <laughs> They decided one day that the we back don't make it easy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they decided one day that the background, the wallpaper on my laptop needed to be changed to a picture of them, not just any picture, but this picture. And I still have it. Actually, it made me laugh, and I really love it. So it's, it's true. She actually still has it on her on her MacBook. She still just I keeps do. it there. I do. I do. It just makes me laugh it. every time I see it. But so that's the mix of the sort sort of almost perfect and not so perfect family pictures right. for me. 
And now I had a great start. I don't know how this started off so well, but I think you can tell that my mom gave me all of her good looks. Uh, like that's amazing. She gave me this this awesome mop of hair that is rapidly disappearing now for some reason. Uh, but I don't remember how old I was. I don't remember how big I was, but I was a lot larger back then as, as a kid. And my collar was a lot larger. How many of you used to dress your kids up in collars that were bigger than their torsos? That is a classic 70s collar that, right that there. That is it something. Is. But, yeah. I mean, you had to dress like this you know, because uh, as a kid, you didn't want people to know your secret identity. So I dressed like this. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was my other look. That was a homemade Superman outfit that my mom made for me. And I was so, that was just so cool. I think I wanted to wear that everywhere. And, you know, obviously you can't, but that was just so awesome. And you can kind of tell the era that that was, because check out those curtains. You still have those curtains? It's time for an upgrade, folks, just, just as a note. And of course, we, I don't know if your family did this, but you may have had the staged album cover type photo, something like this. You know, where you're doing, the, like, the Sears pose. Do you remember the phrase, uh, the turn of phrase, the Sears pose, where you just kind of... The Sears catalog pose. The, the yeah. Sears catalog pose, where you kind of look off in the distance and try and look cool, I don't know. suave. Whatever, yeah, wise... I don't know. Wise. I don't know. I'm not well, sure. maybe. Anyways, you guys were we gazing at the future. Uh, whole pose. Sometimes we didn't pull that off. <laughs> Sometimes we couldn't pull that off. I don't, I don't know what happened here on this next photo. But man, I don't wear a suit well. I still don't wear a suit well. And I couldn't wear a boutonniere well either, apparently. That flower wanted off my suit like as fast as humanly possible. My, my mom and my sister were great. My mom's like straight out of the 80s here. Got the 80s haircut and the 80s colors. She looks like she's ready to pick up a keytar yeah. and just start rocking out to like, uh, um, uh, who's the, uh, I don't know. who was the band that's saying, don't forget me when I'm gone? Glass Tiger. Glass Tiger, the good Canadian band. Shout out if you know who Glass Tiger is. Google it afterwards if you want to know a great Canadian rock band from the 80s. And, of course, my sister had the big poofy sleeves on. I loved it. They're going to kill you. Yeah, I know. But it gets worse because my mom wanted one year for us to participate in the centennial celebration of the small town where I grew up. And so we all dressed like that. And what did you do while you were dressed like that? Apparently, I, I, portrayed, I, I, I portrayed the actor Steve Urkel. I don't know. Like, I was from Family Matters. That's that kind of look. We actually sang the song Church in the Wildwood in mm -hmm. three-part harmony for this particular photo. And this was, this was rough, this particular photo. I mean, the hat almost kind of didn't fit. And so as I was putting it on, you could hear it cracking. And mom's like, don't wreck it. You have to look good for this. And my thought was, and my thought still was, that's impossible. There is no way I can look good in this. But here we are. This is how we dressed up uh, to, sing, to sing for that. And, my, and now, you know what, in hindsight, this is actually just my mom's different hairstyles through the eras, is, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the different kinds of hair uh, that she had. And speaking of hair, uh -huh. um, <laughs> um, I don't know what was going on here, but 
let's forget about the hair and check out those pleated pants that I was wearing. Those pleated, uh, they, they look like, I don't know if they're blue, powder blue, corduroy, or jeans. Like, who has pleated jeans? Back uh, then, everybody did. Yeah, I, I think this just shows you why, you know, it's important to pray for your kids on a regular basis. Because if you don't, they end up in jeans like that. Or you look good like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You look good yeah. like that. This GQ was right there. This was this was on our honeymoon. I remember I remember this photo, and it was the one time in our lives that I was really well tanned. Yeah. Um, we had gone to Jamaica for our honeymoon in July, so all you had to do was walk from building to building, and you had the risk of getting sunburned, like just crisp, like bacon. Which is what happened to me. He it, was tanned. I was I was a lobster. You were a lobster, and so. Uh, I got a really good tan, and I thought, you know what? And, and did this whole suave thing, one button too many down. That's as risque as a photo as you'll ever see of your pastor. I don't think we have to label this, but that's that photo. I just thought we'd look off into the distance, and that would be the thing. And also, that restaurant had really good swordfish. They did. I, I remember that. And, of course, you know, um, that, that suave look has never gone away. It's still there. Stuck in with uh, stuck st stuck uh, standing in front of a Swiss chalet restaurant one uh, time back in the day when we could travel between countries. Remember that? I, re I remember that sort of thing. So um, this is a photo that I, I took of my mom and I and uh, my nephew was coming to pick her up. We were kind of doing the halfway meet thing and we too have had some great family photos uh, since then, since those younger, yeah. mm -hmm. more awkward photos were taken. Uh, we have a whole picture of the crew uh, that we took at my mom's favorite restaurant in the hometown uh, where I grew up. This was a restaurant that she worked at when she was a teenager. Uh, it was a golf resort and a uh, tavern and a restaurant, and that's where she worked as a teenager, so that was pretty cool. And uh, then, of course, the three of us, this, this next photo, this last photo, was last Easter. Remember last Easter where we all met online and we didn't know what to do and where could we take photos? We went outside the front door and we took photos uh, of our family because we wanted to capture it even though we couldn't. Yep. meet together yeah. uh, in person and worship in person. We were so glad to be able to do that online. So we got together and we still dressed up and uh, we took the picture from the front porch. So that's a memory, yep. which, is, which is why we take photos in the first place, right? We take photos because there's things that we want to remember. There were a bunch of photos like, oh, I remember eating at the table and those kinds of things. And I remember um, uh, going to the Rockies. I think that, that album cover pose that my family was doing, we were sitting, uh, we were in the Rockies at that time, I believe. Uh, so we want those photos to matter. And we spend time editing them taking them and retaking them and now you know with our cell phones we can take a photo and we can instantly download an app and we can um, uh, edit the photo right there so that we get rid of the red eye we get rid of any pimples we change the filter we can smooth out some wrinkles we can make ourselves look really really good and get that photo out there because photos remind us of what's important and I think that points to our desire that when it comes to our memories, we want to remember the best things, but 
there are some photos that we don't keep and we throw away because we're a little bit embarrassed by them and we don't really want them. We want to have the perfect outcome for our families sometimes. Uh, and that's why we go and we edit all of these photos. But that's really hard to do in reality because... I mean, when we're talking about the perfect outcome for our families, our families don't always turn out the way we expect, right? Anybody, doesn't matter if you're a parent here today, you know that. Um, our kids might turn out to be different people than we once expected when they were small. Um, just like we didn't maybe turn out to be the way our parents envisioned. But we still want the best for our families. And so what we want to talk about today is how, how do we provide the best for our families? Well, I think the first answer is to just think, what would Brian and Krista do and then do that? I don't know about that. Okay, maybe not. Uh, however, God's Word actually gives us a really important clue because uh, something that is applicable to individuals, when, and when we read this passage that we're about to read, we often think of uh, an individual application, but I think this has an application for us as families as well, as moms and dads who want to forge the best kind of future for our family. And I think that this, what this verse is going to tell us is that the key is to not try and control our family. And we do that. Sometimes we, we really overemphasize the, we're the parents, we're in charge, we know what's best, and you have to do it no matter what. And no kid listens to that for long. Eventually, they start to push out from that. They have their own individual personalities. They have an agenda. So what is it that you are to do, especially as our children get older and become preteens and teenagers and young adults? How do we make sure that we put them on the best path to their best future? How do we forge the best future for our family? I think the key is that we don't try to control the outcome but we give over control to God. It's not that we don't have some control in our kids' lives, but I think the key is to give control over to God, to put our families in his hand. And I think we see that really, really clearly in the first verse from our passage today, which is found in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. And, and assurance about what we do not see. I'll read it again. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Do you see the solution there? The solution is faith. Faith is what forges the future that we want our families to have. And so the solution for us as parents, the solution for us as moms, single moms, uh, moms and dads, single dads, grandparents looking after their grandkids, you name it, the solution is to live and walk in faith that what God has said, God will do. And that what God has asked you to do, you can trust him with because he is going to reward you. As a matter of fact, we're going to take a look at this entire passage, Hebrews 11. It's kind of called the, the hall of faith, so to speak. It's these heroes who have done exactly this. And we read in verse 2 the following, and the following, we read these words. This is what the ancients were commended for. Faith was what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still lives even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did bring Isaac back from death. Or he did, sorry, receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. 
But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about, to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's a lot of people. A lot of people who had to do a lot of different steps and God asked them to do a lot of different things, but all of them were asked to take faith-filled risks and they are to be our inspiration. They are watching us and the way that we live right now, the way that we parent right now saying, what is God asking you to do? Look at our example. You can do it. The reward is worth it. I mean, let them inspire you. I mean, Krista, what did, what did you, as we looked at that and we talked about that this week, what did you kind of draw from these, these heroes? What inspires you about them? Well, first of all, they didn't know if they would see the results in this lifetime. In fact, this passage is really clear that most of them didn't. They died living lives of faith, but they, they experienced their ultimate reward, the best reward in eternity. And the second thing is that their past didn't matter. When you look at that list of people, if you know their stories from the Old Testament, you know that they showed faith regardless of what their background was. For example, Rahab, who was a prostitute, she acted in faith, she welcomed the Israelite spies, and she was not only saved, but she shows up in the book of Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus. She is one of a few women who are mentioned in that list of people. And God included her in this this sort of faith hall of fame. And the last thing is that they saw past their immediate circumstances I think of Sarah, who even though she laughed when she was told she was going to become a mom, right? I mean, like if I was the age that she was and and you were the age that Abraham was and someone came and told me we were going to be parents, 
I probably would maybe be inclined to laugh too, but she also knew that the God who made the promise to them that they would have children would be faithful. And so these folks didn't let their circumstances guide their ultimate decision-making. They trusted in God's promises to them. And, and we've experienced a little bit of that even in this life where some of what uh, God has asked us to do personally has been um, really, really challenging. And you as well, if you've been a follower of Jesus for even a short amount of time, you know that some of the things that He asks us to do as Christians, but also as Christian individuals and Christian families, always come with a question of, but what's the price tag for me? How am I going to What's the, how am I, and, and we've experienced that as well. And some of the stories we've told, but um, for us to share it, I think, you know, from your point of view, you had a particular, um, I think, insight into this truth that, that faith is always questioning, it's always costly, it, you're, but you're looking forward to something better, and, you know, what's the alternative? We've, we've experienced that. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Where have you kind of seen this idea that faith is hard? Yeah. So, well, so this is one that kind of is the, the big one that I think of in our life, in our family's life, um, and some of you know this story. Um, just a little over 16 years ago, we moved from Canada to live in the United States, and um, we had had a lot of life change in a very short period of time. We had just become parents. In fact, Josh was, I want to say, about a, a week or two old when we came to Albany to interview for the, the position that Brian was hired for. Um, when we moved, Josh was three months old. And so we were moving away from our entire family support system, all of our friends. I was leaving um, a work position that I dearly loved. I loved the people that I worked with. My work was rewarding. Where did, where did you work? Um, I was a police dispatcher uh, for an area north of Toronto, and it was just, it's one of the best jobs I've ever had. Which is really good parental training, by the way. It, like, imagine <laughs> telling is. your son, like being able to tell your son or your husband, I know people, and yeah. I can call them. I can't use that anymore. And they'll really. come. It's can't do that long. anymore because you got to <laughs> move, right? It's been too long. But Josh used to tell people that I told I told police officers where to go when he was little. That was his explanation. <laughs> so, um, so we were leaving all of this behind. We had just um, gotten to know my birth family. It was we're maybe just a few years into um, getting to know them. Um, so we were leaving literally everything and going to a place where we knew a handful of people that we had met like once. And we believed that this was what God was asking our family to do. But I personally had a really hard time with that. And I was like inside myself just digging my heels in. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to move. I didn't want to leave the security and the love of our family and friends and all of those good things that we were being asked to leave. And one day, I'll never forget this. Brian's mom um, lived in, we, we lived in a house together. She lived in the basement. She came upstairs and she said to me, I'm going to show you this. I'm not telling you what to do, but I want you to read this. And it was um, a passage from the Daily Bread, the little daily devotional that some folks use. And we have Daily Breads here. I don't know if those are the same devotionals, but they're available at all of the exits. The new ones for the next three months will be coming out next week, so watch for that. Hashtag announcement. 
So she handed me this and I read it and it was the story of Abraham and Sarah leaving everything behind. And as I read that, the reality of what they did was very real to me because I was about to do the same thing, only we weren't going to live in a tent. Um, and I realized that I couldn't say no to God. I didn't want to ever be in that position of saying no to God. And I knew it would be a huge leap of faith for me personally, um, but I knew that we had to leave and we had to move to New York State. And so we did. Yeah. Um, I remember one of the challenging things about that move was uh, what would we do about you know, the financial debt that we still had in Canada? We still had student loans and car loans, and how are we going to pay all that? And I remember our home sold really quickly for the amount of our debt. That was really, really amazing. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, wait, our house has increased in value exponentially since we've lived there for like two, two, three years tops, right? Like not very long. And this was the first house we ever owned. And the market value in Toronto and the surrounding bedroom communities is only going to go up. It's in that bubble, so to speak. It actually, uh, there was some value uh, that was lost in the uh, housing crisis back in 2007, 2008, 2009. But the house from when we bought it back in the early 2000s to when we uh to even today is I think increased somewhere between six to eight times in value. Yeah. And that's in 20 years. I imagine that. Yeah. And I remember moving to the States where all of a sudden, you know, the type of visa that we had were just restricted to the income that I can earn as a pastor. You're not allowed to work. Um, financially, no bank wanted to touch us because we had temporary visas. And so we're not looked at as a long-term investment for a bank. We were a flight risk. We were That's a flight what we were risk. told. We were a flight risk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we had to go and get like a really aggressive uh, interest rate, uh, very something that was really, really high. So much so that half of our income, more than half of our income was going just to our mortgage alone in order to live. But we always had what we needed. We didn't, um, you know, God provided for us in ways that you know, we could sit here and tell you all day how God provided for us over those years. Uh, we always had what we needed. The, um, the hard thing was, though, we didn't um, have what we wanted. And I remember one time, I've shared this story before, but I remember one time sitting down thinking, um, uh, what should we be preaching on? Praying through a preaching calendar for the church that I was pastoring in Albany. And I thought... Uh, let's do a money series. So I started to look around at who was out there about, you know, what, what's offered for uh, sermons on, on money. This would be the first time I got to preach that as a pastor. And I, and I uh, obtained the, the free uh, sermon series from Crown Financial. And one of the verses that uh, they say that you should preach on is, is about debt, that the borrower is slave to the lender, uh, verse from Proverbs. And I remember... Uh, looking at that passage and kind of wrestling through the implications of that. And it dawned on me that if our financial situation changed, 
and we were to move from the current church that we were in, in Albany, not the, the best economic situation in the world uh, financially, but certainly uh, paying, and we were asked to move to a small town or a small church where there was a massive pay cut. We couldn't afford it because our, our standard of living, our income was as high as our outgo, or our outgo was as high as our income, and we just didn't seem to have enough, and we lived just in an awful way financially. And as I was praying through that series and, and thinking of that passage, I realized, you know, if God were to come and ask us to move, I'd be very tempted to say, no, I can't afford it. I can't make that step. And that, that broke me inside, and I said to Krista, we've got to change everything about our finances. We've got to figure out a plan. We've got to start uh, making steps forward financially. And we found this guy named Dave Ramsey, this loudmouth, yelling dude uh, on the radio who seemed to have some good financial advice and uh, was a Christian. And I thought, you know what? Let's try his plan and see if it worked. And God has led us through that to a place where he has provided financially and has provided a future for that. Um, and that's just a couple of our stories. And the amazing thing about that is that these people in the hall of faith from Hebrews 11 didn't see those kinds of results. We've seen how God has taken care of us as we moved away from our blood relatives, we found church family that uh, we still are friends with to this day, whether it's Albany or here in Rochester. And even when we go home, there are church people who want to see us and reconnect with us uh, because I was their pastor, their youth pastor there, or something like that. Um, and financially, God has provided. These people didn't see that, and yet they're willing to make those sacrifices because they knew that God rewards faith. He never lets faith go unrewarded. And so this passage has this long-term view that I think is so, so helpful for us to get about how it removes us from our circumstances and helps us to see the big picture. I think sometimes we see faith as a way for us to uh, unlock a way out of our circumstances. That if we just do these things, then God will respond immediately and he'll fix this relationship. He'll fix our family. He'll fix my marriage. He'll fix my kids. And in reality, that's not what faith is. Because when we do that, what we're saying is that God owes us if we take steps to act like he wants us to act. And that's not what it is. Faith is, I'm trusting you even though I may not be rewarded in this life, I know that there will be a reward in the next life. It's a future-focused act. And I would also add this. I think that sometimes we view faith incorrectly by the way that we say, oh, God doesn't expect that of me. And here's what I mean by that. God commands all of us to live a certain way, a certain lifestyle. There are things that we are to adhere to and practice, whether we feel like them or not. And those are universal for all Christians, all places, and all times. But each of us has an individual will that God is calling us to. 
And each of us will be asked to live in faith, to step out and take faith-filled risks like we don't think we can take. And sometimes, some people will manufacture what that will is on their own. They will start to think like, wait, I'm enjoying life too much. Therefore, I need to be, you know, suffering for Jesus in some way. I'm not like these people who gave up everything. They look for the alternative. They look for, well, how, how am I supposed to sacrifice? And they make up things that God wants them to sacrifice. That's also not true. So it's important for us as we surrender our family to God in faith to make sure that it's God who, that, who we're listening to. We're not making up things that we think he wants us to sacrifice. We're not forcing those things on others to make them sacrifice those things as well. But that we all recognize that we will be asked to sacrifice in faith. And one of the best things that we can do as parents, as moms, as dads, is to offer our families to God and say, I will live in faith because I know that you will forge the best future for them if I do. I can trust God with my family so I can walk in faith towards God, with God, and with my family at the same time. You know, it's, it's interesting that this particular passage is written to a group of Israelites, of, of Hebrews, of God's uh, chosen people from before uh, Jesus opened that veil and allowed Gentiles to join them uh, in that privilege of being part of the family of God. And they were, because of their faith in Jesus, they were being kicked out of the synagogue. They weren't allowed to connect with their own people. And they were, they were being asked to sacrifice socially. They were being uh, forced to sacrifice economically and theologically. They were being challenged, and they had been led to believe that Jesus was coming back, and it was soon. It was coming imminently, and yet he wasn't coming. He wasn't showing up, and he wasn't showing up, and he wasn't showing up. And they were starting to doubt whether it was for real. And so the author of Hebrews comes and says, don't lose hope. Your faith, your history, your people's history are full of those who never saw God's promise to them realized until they got to the other side of eternity, until they got to the other side of their lifetime. And now they get to see it, and now they are cheering us on, looking at us as the next generation, wondering, will they step up in faith? And so the key for them, the key for the author of Hebrews is that he says not only to keep your faith far, uh, far reaching, far looking into the future, because it's a future-based act. And don't create things that you need to sacrifice. God will give you those things at the right time, in the right moment. There's things that he asks all of us to do, but there's something that he asks you specifically to do. What is that? Get behind it and believe that God will reward you for that. But also put your faith in Jesus, 
He says, look to him as the best example who had all sorts of opposition, people saying that's a terrible idea. You should never do this. This is the way you should live. This is how you should act. You are not listening to God. And he said, I know what God is asking me to do, and I'm going to do it. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So hang on to Jesus. Live for Jesus by living like Jesus. What about us? What about you? Whether you're here or watching online, is your faith built on Jesus? Would you like to trust your family to him today? The foundation of my faith, the foundation of our faith, is the historically verifiable fact that Jesus walked this earth claiming to be God and gave us ample evidence to support his claim. He died for our sin, he rose from the dead, and he went to heaven in front of hundreds of witnesses. You can be sure about your faith right now. You can be sure about your faith today, and you can start building your family's future in confidence in faith in God. And if that's something that you would like to do today, if you're at all unsure and you want to, you know, just stake that claim today with Jesus and you want to pray with someone, please come and, you know, talk to one of us after the service. We would love to pray with you. And if you're watching online, let the hosts know that you would like to pray with someone and they can connect with you. Because it's faith that forges the best future that your family could ever have. We've got some questions for you to think about as we wrap up today. And uh, here they are. They're just two quick questions. The first question is this. Reread Hebrews 11 on your own. Maybe do that this afternoon or with your group uh, this week. Reread Hebrews chapter 11. What inspires you from the testimony of people who lived by faith? What inspires you from these testimonies? of people who live by faith. And question two, this is a hard one, but I think it's worth wrestling through. What step of faith is God asking you to take to entrust your family's future to Him? It's faith that unlocks the best future that your family could ever ask for. You can trust your family to God by trusting your life to Him, to live for Him, to live like Him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, as we look at this passage of just these heroes who looked at their circumstances, saw what you were asking them to do, heard what you were asking them to do, and said, okay, we trust you. We trust you before any other voice. We trust you before any other truth. We trust you that if we do what you ask us to do, if we live the way you ask us to live, if we sacrifice the way you want us to sacrifice, You will reward that. You honor those who honor you. And Lord, would you help us with our families? We live in some really scary times, we feel. But in reality, God, in your hands, they're not scary. Because you have placed us in the circumstances and the places that we are right now for a reason. 
and we can trust you that you will show us that reason in your time that we can walk in that. We can do what you're asking us to do and that you will reward that. And even if that reward doesn't come until we're no longer on this earth, that reward will be so much greater because it's you who are giving it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know that. Would you help us to block out the voices that are saying, here's what God is telling you to sacrifice when you're not. Would you help us not to create things that we need to be sacrificing? Because when you ask us to sacrifice, it's going to be hard enough anyways. But would you also give us the future-minded view of our circumstances? That we can trust you, that you have the best for us, so that we can offer our lives to you. Would you help us to walk in faith as moms and dads and as families because it's faith that forges the best future for our family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.